Welcome back to the Effort of Everything podcast. I'm your host, Jason Klepa. On today's episode, Gabe, MDV, and I discuss the movement standards in the CrossFit Open, which then leads us into this idea of the unknown and unknowable in the sport of fitness, and if that's necessary. Through these conversations, we always end up flowing. We start talking about the barrier to entry to opening a gym in general, but also in particular, a jujitsu gym in my perspective, which then leads us to blending jiu-jitsu with strength conditioning and those training demands and what that looks like. I hope you guys enjoy these conversations as much as we enjoy having them. We occur on a weekly basis. I just love talking to these guys about training, fitness, life. If you guys enjoy these, let us know. Take a screenshot. Hit us up on Instagram. Also, leave us a rating or review on the App Store or on Spotify. I hope you and your family are doing incredibly well. Let's dive into a great episode with Gabe and MDV. Let's go. All right, we're back. So it sounds like there's a, the, the, the CrossFit Open has been going on. Week three is actually being announced today. This episode is going to release in a week. So by then, I the Open for three weeks is going to be up. If you've been following it, um, it's a worldwide competition for CrossFit that then carries over into a quarterfinal, then in a semifinal, and then finally the finals of CrossFit Games. And so one of the topics that's been coming up that I've, I've actually been seeing, I know Gabe wanted to talk about it as well, is this idea of just like movement standards and the challenges that that, that brings. So Gabe, give us a lay, lay the, lay the framework for what's happening. Cause I have some interesting take on this too. Cause I'm wondering if we should be doing the same workouts every single year and not always reinventing the wheel. So I want to talk about that too. It's an interesting conversation. Yeah. So what I was mentioning to you guys right before we hit record was, you know, we recorded two episodes ago, kind of reminiscing on the open and how our journeys have evolved, how we approach it, like what it means to us. And it's funny because since we recorded that, to now, like a, a little bit has changed for me too. And just that a, a bunch of my friends that I'm still super close with, you know, and we talk every now and then, but we used to like, you know, our, we met and everything our friendship was kind of like started on was at the gym, chasing the leaderboard, training for the open, talking smack, all that fun stuff. And for whatever reason, you know, a bunch of us kind of have gone through a similar journey and that, you know, we're no longer training super hard. We're not interested in the open. But for some reason this year, you know, we kind of started talking a little bit of smack, like, hey, are you going to do it? What's going on? So I've kind of been pulled back in and it's been really fun. I ended up not signing up, but, you know, I've been doing the workouts and like almost like, you know, getting the excitement on Thursday, like what's the last one going to be? So like, you know, is it going to be good for me or not? So it's been, it's been fun. But in that and in following a little bit more closely, the workouts being released and people talking about it and kind of the chatter on social media. It was interesting. Last week, there was a little bit of controversy on the burpee over bar standard. And I think that this is an interesting conversation to have because I also have noticed over the years how whatever the standard is for these movements kind of becomes this holy grail for people's training or what they expect programming to have moving forward. And I think that's where things get dicey. But just- yes. But just to give a little background on what the controversy is, yeah, they, they moved away from – so for burpee over bar, there was always the rule that it had to be a two-foot takeoff. So you can like – you could always kind of step up one leg and then step up the other to get close to the bar, but you always had to have a two-foot takeoff for the actual jump over. And now if you read it word for word in the score sheet, 
it almost makes it sound like you can literally step over the bar because the only thing required is that at some point, both feet are off the ground. And there were some people filming like these very exaggerated videos, <laughs> tagging CrossFit, like yeah. discount, where essentially they're literally just stepping over the bar. And there's just like one split second where they pick up the back foot right before the front foot touches. So technically they're doing it by the rules. And A, I think it's interesting how there's, there's always people that like, you know, read into this, I think like just so, so, so much and try and find like the most ridiculous way to do it by the rules. But like, you know, clearly going away from what the spirit of the movement is. But then I think that, you know, maybe for some people where, you know, this these scores really do count and this is kind of, you know, what they expect their their livelihood to be behind, then you can also make the argument that you should be looking for every, you know, kind of angle within the rules, maybe bending the rules that you can kind of take advantage of to maximize your score. And then the, the last thing I'll add, and then I'll, I'll get your guys' thoughts, what kind of added to the controversy and some people saying that, you know, this was poorly communicated, so on and so forth, is the CrossFit Games put out a video of Boz further explaining the standard, making it clear that while, yes, you can no longer have to do a two-foot takeoff, it still, quote-unquote, clearly needs to be a jump. So, you know, a lot of people like, that's vague. Why is this a video? Why is it not in the official score sheet? So on and so forth. So that's kind of been the controversy. And I, I think, I, A, I'd love to get your guys' thoughts, but I think it goes into this greater conversation of, like, now this becomes how people must do burpees when they train all year, like, or else, right? Oh, well, I'll add just a note on that. I put up a video, like, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, and I was doing um, alternating dumbbell snatches. And I I grazed my elbow on my opposite knee, right? And I had, like, multiple comments from no people rep, saying, no, no, no rep. rep, no rep. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, like, dude, I'm just trying to maintain and improve my fitness. If my elbow touches my knee, like, I have, z I could care less, like, is, is, is my, my thought on it. But if you put yourself in the competitor's mindset, we are trying to create uh, an even playing field. I understand how that becomes a thing, right? But for me, I'm just no longer in that mindset. But when I was in that mindset, 100% of what I looked at that, I'm like no rep, no rep, no rep. Uh, I'll give you a really good example. Um, one year, uh, it was seven minutes of burpees. You, you guys remember that one? Um, and I, if I'm not mistaken, the, the um, rules were you had to jump to a, a six inch target above your hand, right? Wasn't that what it was, MDV? And a lot of people used um, uh, the pull-up bar and they would come and they would slap it on the way down, right? That was like the easier way to do it. What we did was we basically had a ceiling that was pretty low on a mezzanine of our location and we stacked mats so that you were just perfectly six inches from the ceiling. And so all you'd have to do is hit the ceiling, which was much easier than hitting the pull-up bar because there was no accuracy involved. You said jump up and hit the ceiling, but it hit the standard, right? The standard was you had to jump up to a six-inch target, et cetera. So I, 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 that's an example of like kind of skirting the rules. One other thing that I'll, I'll get MDV's point is I wanted to share this. Um, I wrote this down. Like when you watch the videos of like Noah Olson or these guys who are really putting up top times, those people are just doing it right. Like they're just doing it the way it should be done. And it's not like they're trying to skirt the lines. Like when you watch like Froning for all the years or whoever, anybody, 
like the guys at the top, they're just doing it the way it's supposed to be done. And they're just trying to do it with the spirit of the movement. All these other ones I think are kind of fringe cases, but they're fun to talk about. But I think after we hear MDVs, I want, we definitely need to talk about is all of this being made up where it doesn't even need to happen if we just had like similar movements with similar standards all the time, period. Anyways. So I, I, in, on the competition side of things, I think that if you're going to have a standard, the standard has to be clearly communicated and it has to be clearly demonstrated. And a lot, if not all the contingencies need to be thought out and need to be highlighted in whatever the rules and standards of the competition are going to be. That's the, the onus for that is on the person who's running the competition. And in competitions like this, you have to have standards for these movements. Because you have these fringe cases in which people are going to try to skirt the rules with this ridiculous nonsense that really do go beyond this, even going going beyond the spirit, but frankly, just kind of cheating, if I have to say, against what the standard is for the movement. Now, in my opinion, they probably shouldn't have fucked with the standard for the two foot takeoff. Like, why even change that? Like, that's a very clear rule in my opinion that you have to come on up you have to take off with two feet you got to land with two feet that makes a lot of sense in terms of standardizing quote unquote a movement that can be tough to standardize if you don't have a two foot takeoff and a, a two foot landing or whatever the rule was but you're trying to make it more inclusive mdv because is is the rule where you'd have to be I'm, I'm just asking so you can yeah. like hop instead of jump is that is that basically why you think they did that so wh what they, what they said, because Boz, Boz included this in the video, the reasoning is to allow athletes to actually move faster through the movement. Um, so kind of alluding to the fact that, you know, the workout could be a little timeline. gnarlier if, yeah, yeah, if you can really move through it quickly, if the standard isn't forcing you to slow down. I don't know. I think that that's kind of nonsense too. Like, I, I it seems strange to me, like, that they changed that to a jump, like a not two foot jump, but I'm not making those rules and I'm not making those decisions. But in my opinion, if you're going to run a competition, you have to have really clear standards. And if you are going to say, Hey, you don't have to take off with two feet, then you've got to account for what nonsense people might come up with. You have to sit there and brainstorm and be like, okay, well, how would you might, how could you cheat this? And how are we going to show that that's outside of what we want to see? I didn't hear anything about the standards changing uh, while I was watching the video on 22.2. Uh, .2. I was just watching the workout and I certainly saw them not taking off with two feet, but I didn't, I didn't hear them say like very clearly, oh, the standard has changed, but they probably had mentioned it at some point. Getting into the training discussion, like when you're doing these workouts in the gym environment for your average gym goer. I even think for a competitor, for a competitor, it's different. For somebody who knows that they're going to train a lot moving towards an open or an event, yeah, you want to be mindful of standards. Like the dumbbell snatch is a good example. If you're somebody who's training a lot to do really well in the open, yeah, then you should two-head touch your dumbbell down to the ground and follow the switching standards, whatever they might be at the time, so that you experience that in training so it's not like, a fucking whole new world for you when you go into a competition workout and you're like, oh shit, there's an extra four inches of range of motion here. And now my back is blown up. That makes sense to me. 
What doesn't make sense to me is taking these movements outside of the open and putting them into class workouts and being like the standard, the rigid standard for this movement today is you have to have a two foot jump on the burpee, or you have to touch both heads of the dumbbell down to the ground. I think every once in a while you can have fun with stuff like that, but not be too much of a dick about it. But to like put standards like that on the movements for your athletes in a workout environment for people who aren't trying to compete is a little strange to me. I'm not saying don't have standards for like how the actual mechanics of the movement should go down, but like it's kind of weird that you would remember the the year that they had the fucking foot movement standards on the um in, in regional on the thruster? Yeah. Well, so I mean, so do you, so you couldn't thrust or jerk it, right? Yeah, well, yeah. So basically, the theory on that one was it was a thruster ladder, and I remember this very, very well because I practiced for months to, or not months, weeks to make sure that my feet did not move because you cleaned it and your feet were not allowed to move at all. And I remember when I asked Tony Buddy, I said, "Why, why are your feet not allowed to move at all?" Because what would happen is you'd have some guys who could put up some big numbers. Their foot moved half an inch, disqualified. That's it. Um, and I remember him saying something to me. And, and it actually, at the time, he's like, look, our goal is to have no re-dip occur, right? Like a, like a, they didn't want to have a thruster jerk, which I get. So his theory was the way that we avoid that is if your foot moves at all, your knee is bending and you're transitioning somehow. Therefore, you're doing a thruster jerk. That was his like theory, but man, it, it created a lot of challenges, but it, but, but it brings up a bigger point though, MDV. So like you take that thruster standard from back then you take the, you know, I don't know, wall ball standard from one year, you take the handstand pushup standard from another year, you take a uh, muscle up standards. And, and there's some basic ones that are pretty much well-defined, but the, the question becomes like at every competition, I do feel like there's something about CrossFit competitions that have been trying to reinvent the wheel a lot. I think it brings up an interesting question of should there be specific movements that come up in specific workouts from a big group and they're just known workouts, known movements with known standards, and it's just status quo across the board, or should it continue to be this case where, you know, there is this adaptation and, and, and change, uh, it creates a lot of, you know, conversations like this that, become kind of challenging over time because they're, they're, the standard continues to change, right? Are you saying to, to pick a standard for the movement and stick with it? Or are you saying to pick workouts and stick with those workouts? Well, I mean, I think that the place you could start is, okay, here's a list of 50 movements. Here's going to be the standard associated with them. And that's the way it's going to be. And like so that everyone's singing from the same sheet of music when you're looking at these different competitions from you know, uh, quarterfinals. So take, for example, the quarterfinals or semi, uh, semifinals, if I'm not mistaken, I think a few of the workouts are going to be the same across the board. And then the, the, um, the organizers of the, of that event can then create their own events as well. So it's going to create some standardization and some open. M my question would be if, if the, if the movements are always changing, you know, and the athletes can always kind of find ways to skirt different rules Maybe you just make it where a lot of the movements are just going to be standardized and maybe the workouts are standardized too. And it's going to create more consistency in the sport so that there isn't this conversation about, you know, new movement standards all the time, because are we just bringing on this problem ourselves is the question, you know?
Yeah, I think standardizing the movement standards versus standardizing the workouts is, is a different conversation because standardizing the workouts, I don't think is a good idea at all. I think that that's, a, I, I wouldn't be for that, but standardizing the movements, I think the ones that are very well established, I think they should lock those in and just say, this is it for us, unless something materially changes down the road where we figure out a better standard for this. But the handstand push-up is an interesting one because the handstand push-up standard has changed like three or four times at least across the years. But I think that they keep changing it to make up for like the different like biomechanics or lack of a better term, physiology of athletes and like who gets an advantage in one standard versus who gets an advantage in another and trying to find which one is best. But I, I kind of do think at this point that would be good for them to lock down and be like, hey, we've done this for X number of years now. We're going to get the best minds in the business together and just say, for these movements, these are the standards. We're going to hold these unless otherwise notified. Um, and then that way you don't have as much controversy. But there is also something to the fact that like the, the issue that I have and what I was just going to say is like, if you do change a standard and the athlete has to adapt to the standard and the standard is like funky in a way that doesn't necessarily like test their capacity but just tests their ability to adhere to a weird standard about like where their heels are on a wall. Like if their belly is too arched out during handstand pushup versus sucked in, like that I think is a little strange because you're, you're essentially just testing whether or not the athlete can point their toes down at the top of handstand pushup versus whether or not they can just do a handstand pushup. You remember that standard? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh... The standardization of movements, I think, is an interesting one. I, I actually, I don't know if I disagree. I, 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 I might disagree. I think that the sport of fitness needs more consistency. That's what I think. I think that if they had standardized workouts, I actually think it would create more engagement. That's my opinion. I think that um, if you look at like semifinals, quarterfinals, and you, you like take Wadapalooza, right? We talked about this. Wadapalooza just is constantly, you know, new new events. And with new events comes new challenges from a judging perspective, from an administration perspective, all these type of things. And so the question would be, you take an event like Wadapalooza or any of these other ones, you say, hey, man, there's going to be 50 events and we're going to choose 10 of them that you're going to compete in. Or maybe just every year, Wadapalooza is going to be the same events. The nice thing about that is then people can actually set world records. People can then have a legacy where say, hey, back in 2010, this event was you know, set the world, the record by, you know, whoever, can this person beat it? And I think as a spectator, it would help engagement because they could, I don't know. I, I just, I wonder if always having the games be new events actually detracts from the fan engagement or is that what it's all about? The unknown and the unknowable. Yeah. I think the problem with, cause I, I think we all get to an extent like, the thinking behind the unknown and the unknowable, right? Like that was always such a draw and such a like, you know, you have to be prepared for everything because you don't know if you're going to have to roll a marathon. You don't know if you're going to have to, you know, know how to climb a pegboard first that time that came up. So I, I, I get that, but no, I, I definitely see your side of it, Jay, because I, I like personally as a spectator, especially as a spectator that kind of falls in the same camp that, you know, I think MDV is in too. And a lot of my friends where, you know, we were so immersed in the sport back in the days of UJ and Spieler and all of those guys. It'd be really cool to be able to know that, hey, these new kids, like what are they doing compared to those scores back then? 
because it almost like brings you back to, you know, the nostalgia is such a powerful thing. And I know that, you know, fans that might kind of be in that same group would love to at least imagine what it would have been like to see like Madero's compete back in the day of Froning. Like that might interest me a little bit more in the space now. And maybe not me specifically, but definitely more people. So I get that side of, you know, if there were at least a piece of the season that's standardized throughout the years and, you know, is going to repeat, I think it could, it could keep fans along for longer instead of having them, you know, as their, as their training journey kind of evolves and they move away from it, they also move away as fans of the sport. I don't disagree that you could have some cool um, benefits if you standardize, especially if you had like a pool of 100 or 150 workouts or whatever, and you have enough variety where, you know, it wouldn't be boring for the fans to always see just the same events over and over and over again, right? Like you would still have variety in so far that people could like do a whole bunch of different stuff. I think that has to be a consideration as well, because if you're just watching everybody do Fran and a clean and jerk every year, I think that that's kind of boring at some point. But, but does that actually make it more exciting, MDV? No. Why? Why you're just going to watch people who then become Fran and clean and jerk specialists? Well, the but, thing but is that the exciting part? Like, like for example, like high jump or pole vaulting or name any other sport, and it's always the same thing. But people are trying to set records. I, I'm, I'm I, again. Yeah. I, I see both sides. Of this. I'm just saying, like, you'd you have know? to change the definition of the sport, though. That that. That's what my next point would be. If, if you went to a standardized list of events or tests, now you're not testing people against the unknown and the unknowable to find the fittest person on earth, no matter what comes out of the hopper. You're testing people on a known hopper, right? And, and now you have people who go, okay, well, yeah, these people are really fit, but the, are they really fit enough to be tested against anything? And I think that that's now a different definition of the sport. I don't think it takes a, it, it would just be different. I don't think it's better or necessarily worse. You would just be programming functional training or CrossFit, however you'd want to posit it within these parameters. Yeah. And suppose that I think there is a, a organization, I think it's the functional fitness organization. I, I can't remember the, the association that is leaning more in that direction. I just think it's worth a discussion because, you know, and we talk about this a lot. It's like if every event, every organizer, every movement, every athlete, if it's always new, it does create some struggles and challenges because you can't really learn from the past as much. I mean, of course, there's learning lessons, but like, you know, if the swim is always a different distance, if the if the you know, if the event is always incorporating a, a, maybe a new movement uh it makes it difficult from an administrator to test it, test it, test it, to see all these unknowns that might pop up. Um, but it also makes it pretty exciting and it could create some really good events. Like my favorite event that I've ever competed in was Burden Run. And that event has never been repeated again. And it was the coolest event I ever did. Um, or going to Camp Pendleton and competing a triathlon. Like I'll, I'll always remember that. And that's an event that they only did once. So it's Anyways, there, there's definitely pros and cons there. I, I did want to talk about, um, well, I, I wanted to shift gears to another conversation I, I had in mind of this idea of sheepdog, uh, if it's if it's okay with you guys. Yeah, go ahead, MVP. Yeah. Just one last thing on this. I want to make this abundantly clear. 
the administration of workouts in a community-based gym environment, unless this is specifically what you, how you want to run your business, unless you want to run your business like the CrossFit games with movement standards and all that stuff and have a very competitive environment, fine, do whatever you want. But to hold people to standards that are like from the CrossFit games and from the open on an everyday basis, like fucking Stacy, who's got a nine to five job who comes in and she's like, Hey, that was a no rep or no repping your athletes because they move their feet. <laughs> I'm like a thruster is such nonsense. It's so stupid. Please, please do not do that. Hey, would you have no repped? Would you have no repped uh, Fran on those wall balls? No, Fran? Yeah. Fran. Oh, <laughs> the dude that you posted the, the wall ball uh, video from? Yeah. yeah those, those were no reps. Hey, so... <laughs> Uh, he was, this gentleman came to the, he was amazing. We did a podcast together. Super, super nice guy. Uh, I'm looking forward to having that podcast release. Um, I was on his podcast actually, but, uh, we did a workout and, and he was doing wall balls and he hadn't had much exposure to it, but we were just getting after it. And, uh, MDV messaged me like those wall balls did not look good. I was like, yeah, well I was doing wall balls at the same time. So I wasn't like really watching them, he but they didn't look great. A, he should have been using a lighter ball. He should have been only squatting to a depth that he could maintain his neutral spine. Jason had him using like a 30 pound ball and you know, he was look like yeah, I'm rapping for a minute, doing like a D ball, <laughs> a D ball <laughs> shoulder <laughs> with the wall ball. Hey, anyway, so, Fran, I know I'm sure you're a nice guy. No, no to all coaches and nice athletes guy. out there. Uh, no, no need to no rep your athletes in the gym. Uh, I, I, I don't know if I've ever no repped an athlete just trying to get in some fitness at our gym, but you know, who knows? Maybe someone does do that, but, um, Hey, so I, I, I wanted to bring up this idea. So sheepdog response, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this actually that Gabe had gone to take a sheepdog, uh, course with his wife. And so I noticed that they're bringing a course to California in Bakersfield. And so I, it's in October. And so my birthday's in October, of course. And so I, I say to Ashton, I'm like, hey, you already got me the best gift for my birthday. And she's like, oh, yeah. I was like, look, you don't know it yet. It's not going to really cost you any money, but I just need you to go to this course with me. It's three days and it's going to be combatives, groundwork, and, and uh, shooting. And she's just like, oh, man. But I made, her, I made her feel like, hey, this is really important to me. It's the biggest birthday gift. So I think I'm going to get her to wrap her head around it. I just want to let you guys know uh, because uh, I got inspired by you, Gabe, and now I got Ashley on the train. That's awesome, man. Do you know if um, do you know if Tim's going to be one of the oh. instructors? I don't know if he's going to be one of the instructors. I'll have to message him and ask. But uh, I don't know if Ashley really knows what she's getting herself into. She's never really done. She does a little bit of um, every now and then. I'll, I'll I'll convince her to do a little bit of groundwork with me in the garage. Uh, but for the most part, she's pretty anti it and she hasn't shot a gun in, in a very long time. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> they do a really good job though. They do a really good job being, or it might be a little different. I think we were super lucky because like I said, it was like the only couples only course that they ran. Um, so there was, you know, a pretty good even split and even the instructors were split male and female, which definitely helps especially with the um, groundwork stuff, you know, you can do a lot of the drilling, especially if you haven't done that stuff before someone you're super comfortable with, which is nice. Obviously we rotate it through, but it was nice to be able to spend the majority of the time with, you know, your significant other, not messing around with other people too much. Cause it was four hours of drilling, you know, it's a lot. Oh man. 
Yeah, it should be interesting. I'm excited for it. I've been trying to get Ashley to do jiu-jitsu for a very, very long time and just hasn't been able to stick. And, um, you know, it's one of those things you got to pick your battles, right? Where she she's in, you know, she's actively working out every single day. And if she doesn't want to, you know, roll around, I get it. So it's not, I'm not going to force her. Yeah, I was having a conversation with one of the coaches at um, 10th Planet Portland here uh, the other day after class. And I was, we were just chatting about the fitness world and the, the jujitsu world. And, you know, one of the things that's really interesting to me is that there's a pretty high barrier to entry to come into fitness, like to cross the threshold of a functional training gym. I definitely think for a lot of people takes a lot of guts. Like you have to go into this new and uh, different environment. You have to go and meet somebody who you've never met before. You have to do some movements that you've never seen before, but ultimately like if you have a, caring and talented coach and a caring and talented owner who's taking somebody through the door there odds are no matter who that person is they can probably get a workout in day one they can get a workout in day one for sure and they can walk out of that gym feeling like they got a humongous win on day one where they weren't just drowning in i know you're going with this and i agree with you yeah jujitsu compared to functional training Jiu-Jitsu's barrier entry is like the Empire State Building. It's so high. It's so, so, so high. And I'm sure that there's a, there are ways to lessen that barrier to entry. But just even thinking about it from like a standpoint of I'm going into this place that, okay, is mostly male, probably mostly male-dominated. We are going to do a form of combat here where the goal is to submit your opponent or break your opponent at a high level. Uh, and the bar the fucking knowledge learning curve is crazy. It's like so high and it never seems to end. Like there's always new, something new to learn, something new to evolve or something new to put together. Um, very, very high learning curve, very challenging to get new people involved. Yeah. I wonder from a business perspective, this would be an interesting topic to, you know, talk about uh, with, you know, a jujitsu gym owner is like what they find. Because the from an acquisition perspective, I imagine more people are interested in general fitness than they are interested in jujitsu. And I also imagine, like you said, the barrier to entry is so high. I wonder how they combat that and then what type of growth they see and how the retention rates are compared to a boutique brick and mortar or even the conventional gym. Because they're, they're up against some, some strong challenges, you know? Well, the other thing that you have to consider is that it takes at least one year to go from white belt to blue belt. And then it takes a couple of years after that to go to purple belt. So you're talking about at least, at least one year of training where you feel mostly kind of lost and figuring things out. And you, you have to kind of get over that feeling every single day that you go into the dojo into the, to the jujitsu gym in order to, to get to a place where you feel like you know what you're doing. I would say in a matter of a couple of weeks in most good fitness facilities, you could have someone walk through the door and have a pretty good idea of what they're going to get into that day and at least be able to adjust the workout or adjust the movements. And the movements are not fucking fighting back against you as you're doing the movements, right? Like you can put the barbell down and you can look at it and it's not going to try to attack you. It's just going to stay there on the ground. 
you can take a break, you can breathe. But in jujitsu, you can't do that. You have a constant dynamic opponent. It's very, very interesting. Well, and another factor, I mean, this, this, I think about the business case for this. So like if you're, if you're trying to get interested in, in starting some type of like boutique fitness, wh wh whatever it may be, right? Well, you got to find something you're like uniquely good at and excited about and talented with, and then understand the business case. But like, if you think about it, like on another layer, and this probably goes for other businesses too, is like recognizing the barrier of entry of new, new patrons. And so on top of like the learning curve, on top of all these different things you just mentioned, MDV, there's also another factor that I think is really difficult for jiu-jitsu gyms or, or some gyms in general, which is creating a positive dynamic with other people in the classes. So for example, if you're a smaller female, and I'm, I'm using that as an example, who goes into a jiu-jitsu gym, your likelihood of finding someone in the class that you're going to, who you feel like provides you great, like isn't like way up here in terms of skill level, isn't way down here, but finding similar body types, similar backgrounds is another hurdle that a jujitsu gym owner has to deal with because they could have someone who comes in, you could do everything right, but they cannot find the right people to roll with. And I'm not, and I'm sure there's, there's solutions to this. I'm just saying like, it's another factor. And so I, it's just, it's just, it's a tough business. You that know, that one exists on the fitness side too, though. I definitely think that one exists on the fitness side, it's in particularly in functional training. You mean like comparing yourself to other people in the class? Well, if you're a, a very, very small individual who walks on in and constantly sees weights that you always have to adjust. Or if you're, you know, significantly deconditioned at this point in your life and you're a little bit more overweight and you look around, you just see all these kind of fit people around you. Like, I think that, yeah, you're not necessarily interacting with them as combatant opponents, but that pressure is certainly there 100% on the fitness side as well. I'm interested in Gabe's take on this because like, Gabe has done a taste of jujitsu, but like hasn't really taken the jump just yet. How would, you know, from your guys' experience, what are the vast majority of jujitsu gyms going out and, you know, marketing what they do as? Is it, hey, come get a great, a great workout. This is the fitness that'll help you. Is it, hey, this is a skill that's incredibly important for self-defense? Or is it, you know, like, this is a great way to challenge yourself in the community side. Cause I think that that's also an important thing to understand because those three messages can attract three very different people. And I think that if you're trying to expand, you know, and I don't know too much about this world at all, but I would think that if you're really trying to expand your horizon away from, you know, like the alpha male that wants to challenge itself and is doing it for that reason, I think that really leaning into kind of what the sheepdog approach was, which is, this is something that is your responsibility as a parent, for example, to know, because it can help you defend yourself. It can help you get out of a shitty situation in a world now where shitty situations may not be as rare as they were in the past. And I think that that's a very powerful message for a lot of people that might actually resonate more with the person that might find themselves feeling smaller and you know, more likely that they need a way where I don't need to be the strongest person in the room to be the person in the room that can defend myself the most. That's a great, great point. And um, I can speak for only from my experience, uh, mostly from 10th Planet Portland, run by Phil Schwartz, who is one of the best coaches in no matter what discipline we're talking about. He's a fucking fantastic coach. It, he runs a phenomenal class. But they do a really good job of making it a community-based lifestyle experience. Like 
that's the main, at least from what I've taken away, is that jujitsu is a lifestyle. It's not only a martial art. It's not only a discipline or practice. It's not only a competitive aspect. It's not only a self-defense technique. It's also a way of life and a way of thinking. And it permeates fitness, self-defense, mental health. They do a, a, like a mental health, a strength and conditioning. They, they have a lot of different aspects of that community. And they've been very successful here in Portland. And I think that they might be a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of what a lot of other jujitsu gyms are thinking, but that's just my experience. So, yeah, I have, I've experienced quite a few gyms. I would say that I think you're right. And uh, Gabe, I mean, I wrote this down, like marketing matters and, you know, that's something that we're leaning into here at NC fit. But also when you think about jujitsu, like, what are you going to go out and preach? Like, Hey, come in and get sweaty. Okay. I mean, I don't, or, you know, learn self-defense, right? The marketing does play a big role because when people are ready to make that decision, they're going to realize that it is going to be a big barrier to entry. Like if you want to learn the self-defense aspect, which I do think most of the gyms that I've attended, it's it's when people think about jiu-jitsu, they think about doing it not so much for a workout. That's not really what they go there for. That's a piece of it. Uh, They don't really go there necessarily for the community. That's a piece of it too. I think they go there to develop a skill set to learn how to defend themselves. I think that's that's primarily why people get into it. And then as they're into it, they recognize these other auxiliary benefits, such as the fact that it's phenomenal exercise from an aerobic perspective specifically, and that a community and a, and a mindset is developed through that. So, um, but I think that's that's an interesting point about the marketing, because I mean we could take that into our business as well. It's also trending right now. I, I think it's oh totally trending. trending. It's undeniable that jujitsu ha- is trending right now and has been trending for the past three or four or five years, maybe, maybe a little bit less than that, maybe three years. Um, but I, I definitely, I, I, I would say at least at 10th planet, a lot of people are there also for fitness, just as much as they are there for self-defense. Those conversations are talked about and in a very similar way. Is, is the UFC to jujitsu what CrossFit was to Olympic weightlifting? Oh yeah, I think so. Is that yeah. is that kind of the dynamic of you know this big popular movement and sport kind of you know really lifting up this one kind of specific element of it? Yeah, because that, well, that's what it seems like to me from from an outsider he, looking at. Well, and I think that there's a lot of parallels actually, uh, which I think is a really good point you brought up. Because I'll give you an example: when you're watching the CrossFit Games and you see someone move super proficiently and they're they're um, outperforming their competitors from, you know, general fatigue. There's a number of factors, but like, let's just take, for example, there it's a one rep max Olympic lift at the CrossFit Games. When you watch people outperform others who look smaller, don't look as strong, but their technique is so proficient, it starts to add credibility to this idea of, um, the more you practice, the better the coach you have, the more you train, you could see results you never thought expected. And I think that when you watch someone in the UFC, as an example, take someone to the ground and, you know, submit them that you wouldn't expect would be able to do that. It adds validity to how important technique becomes. And so I think that they've both had carryovers where people have been able to visually see how someone who doesn't look like they should be able to do something has the technique to do it. And it's inspiring. Same thing in the UFC and jujitsu as it is in Olympic lifting and CrossFit. Yeah. I think that that's a pretty astute observation. I think that it's 
My opinion is, yeah, I think that there's a lot to that as well. And the UFC has experienced phenomenal astronomical growth over the past 10 years, but in particular, how they navigated COVID. They did the best out of anybody out there in terms of how they said, all right, these are the restrictions. Cool. We got you. We're going to figure out a way that the show will go on. And they became extraordinarily popular with a whole new audience of people who might have never taken up to watch UFC over the past two and a half years. You know, and the other thing I heard was really interesting, and this is a kind of what Gabe was saying too, is that Joe Rogan is responsible for getting more people into jujitsu than anybody in the history of jujitsu, which is probably true. You know, he talks about it all the time on the most popular podcast in the world and has introduced the world to people like Jocko Willink and, uh, you know, all these other people. And, you know, those guys also huge proponents of jujitsu. So it's like this kind of swirling spiral of momentum right now. I swear all his friends do jujitsu, even the people you like wouldn't expect to. What's his name? Joey Diaz. I can't imagine Joey Diaz doing jujitsu. But he's like on the podcast talking about how he goes to jujitsu three to four times a week. I was like, I, I can't see that guy doing it, but he does. It's it's true. It's true. I mean, it's it's crazy how because you can see the influence Joe has had with his like circle of friends, and then obviously with the audience he has, um, you know, and constantly repeating that message. I wouldn't be surprised if he's you know been one of the biggest, if not the influence on the sport than anyone in, in the sport. Yeah, I mean, look, we talk about jiu-jitsu a lot just because MDV and I are really excited about it. Um, I wish more people did it. I think it's a great supplement to, I think what we do in fitness is phenomenal for jiu-jitsu. I think what jiu-jitsu does is phenomenal for us in fitness. You know, the, the one thing I would uh, caveat or, or, or share, and I think, uh, Gabe, you actually said this on the last time we were talking and other people have said this to me before, is um, I was actually talking to Dave Castro about this, believe it or not. That's, that's who I was talking about. So I was with Castro last week and we happened to bring up jiu-jitsu. I was like, oh, what, what do you think about trying it? Because of course, in his circles, he knows a lot of people have done it, of course. Um, but for him, he just doesn't feel like he can make that full commitment because he has other things he's doing. Like, for example, he's full-time uh, marksman, right? For lack of a better term. I mean, he's competing in shooting events. That's his that's his thing. And then also doing CrossFit and, and fitness. And so I think one of the struggles that people have is that, when people want to learn a new skill, it is difficult because you have to allot time to it and you have to be ready to make that commitment. You know, it's it's like Ashley wants to learn how to play golf at some point, but she also doesn't really like being a beginner and you also need to allocate time to it. So it is a big hurdle. But once you wrap your head, I would say that if it keeps coming back to you, like for some reason you keep thinking about it. You're never going to regret getting into it. You, you won't. If, if people are interested in trying jiu-jitsu or another thing, they should start it now uh, because a year from now, you're going to regret if you didn't start it, um, I think. That's an interesting point as well. And I was reading a caption from, I think, from Nick Shaw from uh, Renaissance Periodization. So oh, yeah. He posted something. I don't know him at all, but um, I follow him. He posted something about you can't train everything all the time. And I, I, I think that that's true. Like you can definitely be a generalist and you can dabble in some stuff, but if you really want to get good at something, you have to 
balance that against some of the other stuff. And you might have to, you know, borrow some time from over here to put over here. And I'm feeling it in terms of my own fitness where I don't do as much, as much functional training as I used to do. I used to do functional training five or six days a week. And now I'm down to like probably three days a week of functional training exclusively. And then balancing that with three days of jujitsu because I, my, I was starting to feel a little bit too pulled thin physically, you know, 38 years old. And I, I can't be doing two intense uh, or double days where I'm doing multiple days per week of intensity plus intensity. So it's a good balance for me right now of my base and functional training gave me an opportunity to have some strength and conditioning coming into jujitsu. I'm continuing to build that incrementally slowly. But now my focus on a lot of days or more days is, is how do I take that and apply that to jujitsu? TRT says you can do both intensities and you'll be the fine. TRT games. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, um, yeah. Go ahead. Andy. No, no, no. I think that that's a really interesting subject too, because like I, I sent Jason, I sent you over a, an image from, um, CrossFit Soul in Miami, Danny Lopez's gym. Danny. Danny. Danny's an OG. I love Danny. Danny and yeah. I worked together uh, on a lot of stuff over the years. He's such a good guy and a very, very smart guy. Um, and they actually put, looks like they put high quality jujitsu mats into one of their gyms and they're running classes. Very interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's one of those topics where, you know, I, I think, my, I'd love to have mats in our gym, but I think it's important to stay focused on what you're really, you know, what your core competency is, what you're good at. I think as a business, we've learned the hard way when we get distracted, when we try and do too many things, we need to stay in our lane and, and reinforce it. Like, what do we do at NC Fit? We put out really great workouts. We help people live freely and fully outside the gym to go do other stuff. And if they want to go do jujitsu, go for it. But we're going to be the place that provides that functional fitness to help you get there. And speaking of which, I got to make sure I, I give this shout out. If you are an athlete and you have not checked out the NC Fit app, I mean, it is at a place where I think it's it's quite beautiful. It's it's remarkable workouts that we use every day. And the design and the functionality is incredible. And if you're a coach and you haven't checked out the collective, that's our B2B tool. That's what we use every single day to coach classes. So make sure you guys are checking out the NC Fit Collective. Make sure you're checking out the NC Fit app. And, um, also don't forget leaving us a rating and review on the podcast helps us a lot, especially for Gabe and MDV and I, we want to know what type of topics you want to talk about, hit us up on social because, you know, we're having these weekly conversations, but if there's something in particular you want to discuss, you gotta let us know. This podcast is also brought to you by last Four <laughs> coffee. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's good. Good. That's serious. Yeah. But, but seriously, seriously. no. <laughs> um, in terms of uh, you know the jujitsu thing in, in the functional training gym, I listen. I agree with you. I think we do functional training at NC Fit the best. I think that we have an awesome experience. I think that we have coaches who are professional, who have a lot of energy, who have a hell of a good time when they're bringing the heat uh, on those workouts. But if if one day we had a facility that had a lot of extra space and we said, Hey, listen, we want to put mats down and really create an actual thing that had 
the mats and everything and, and was not just like, oh, we're going to roll these out and roll them back up. And, you know, when class is going on, there's jujitsu also sometimes. And you brought an instructor who was going to run a program for members of the gym. I don't I, I wouldn't have a problem with that. I think that that's a really cool extension of what a holistic fitness experience could be like where you could get your introduction to this kind of thing or basic self-defense. Um, it's different from what we do right now. And I don't think that we have to ever get there if we don't want to, but I don't, I, I think that that's kind of cool that you have a fitness experience that people trust and love you and that they can taste something a little different if they wanted to. Hmm. Well, we'll see if Ashley wants to taste the jiu-jitsu sheepdog experience. I still, we, we might come back from that a, a different couple. She might be very, very mad at me. I'm trying to get her sister to do it too. So she can have a partner to do it with because, um, anyways, uh, by the way, next week I'm headed to go see Mr. Gabe Giannis in Seguin. I will have to have a report on this podcast afterwards about what we, uh, actually we might be able to do that in person, um, Gabe next week. Um, but I'm excited to go to the ranch and go see the chickens and whatever else you guys have going on, these new sheep or goats or whatever you have. Um, and uh, I'm bringing the kids out there, so I'm sure they're going to have a hell of a time. So looking forward to doing that. Will you be milking a cow? I will be milking a cow. We should take some video, Gabe, of me milking a cow. And uh, I do want to taste the milk and the difference. And uh, I'm sure Ava and Caden are going to love that too. All Caden wants to do is go drive that ATV that you guys have. So as long as you let him mash on that, he's good to go. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, we'll have a good time, man. I'm super excited to have you out here. It'll be Dude, fun. Dude, good. Um, uh, well, gentlemen, I know we got we got a great uh, couple days ahead, a great weekend coming up. Uh, any uh, any final thoughts on the movement standards in the open, jujitsu? We were just kind of riffing on different subjects today. Well, I mean, my final thoughts – you know, Jason mentioned it, plug the app. He does it every week, does a great job. But, you know, in participating in the Open kind of a little bit more seriously than I even expected it to, um, and obviously, you know, might be biased, but I genuinely believe this. I've been really pleasantly surprised with how the workouts have gone and how I felt. You know, I'm coming off of, you know, two years ago, I had hurt my back so bad. MDV remembers this. I mean, literally in the mornings, I had to have Bloom tie my shoes because I could not tie my own shoes. That's how bad I herniated two discs in my back. And, you know, I did exclusively swimming for a while because it's the only thing I could do. But now I'm at a place where, you know, I'm doing mostly like bodybuilding type stuff, usually looking at NC flex for those pepper in some NCX and NC Metcon when I want to breathe heavy. And I just, you know, open the app every day, poke around the different days and different programs, love NC compete conditioning for some days when I want to breathe heavy and I just love the fact that there are so many options and I'm not following anything to the T every day. This is my program, but I still like feel good. And the biggest thing, especially because I'm working out alone every day, because Bloom does her own programming. We, we don't work out really together anymore on most days because I'm working out alone every day. It's so nice that every day be able to find a workout that I am genuinely excited about and never have to do something that like is my training for the day. But then I'm like, I don't want to freaking do this. So again, just saying the, the, the app is awesome. The programs we have are awesome. The flexibility and now even the timer. I used to time everything on my watch, but now I can use the timer right on the app. So if you haven't checked out the NCFit app, I genuinely think it's the best option out there. And the options within the app are incredible. So, Hell yeah. 
you know, one of the things kind of piggybacks off of Gabe, but I've been thinking a lot lately about this concept of like decision fatigue and decision fatigue in particular, in terms of like your nutrition, in terms of your fitness, in terms of morning routines, there's so much stuff out there, an endless amount of material an endless amount of things to think about an endless amount of new trends an endless amount of whatever stuff this new expert over here telling you that this is the new way forward but you can't argue with simplicity and consistency and when you're thinking about like stuff like your nutrition whole and unprocessed foods 90 percent of the time that's going to get you to the place that you want to go Eating three or four meals a day with just all of those foods on that plate, not having a lot of additional ingredients in them. What's the ingredient list on a piece of chicken? It's just chicken. What's the ingredient list on fruit? It's just fruit. What's the ingredient list on rice? It's just rice. That's what I mean by saying little to no ingredients. Really focusing there, simple food choices. Same thing with your fitness. And like what we do at NC Fit, I think we have an awesome option for you in terms of functional training. We are going to give you movements like squats, presses, deadlifts, cleans, kettlebell swings. You're using simple equipment, stuff that you can learn how to use right away and not too complicated. We're not trying to do any sort of stuff that's crazy outside of the box that no one would ever be able to like replicate or think about or be able to be consistent with. It's all right there for you and try not to suffer from decision fatigue. Try to think simply simply about what's going to be most effective for you and what you can be most consistent with. Decision fatigue. Well, gentlemen, as per usual, I appreciate you guys. I, uh, I'm i fired up for this weekend. Got a lot going on. Actually, today's Thursday. We got a bunch of meetings. It's good. It's an exciting time, right? Gyms are getting back on track. Mask mandates finally lifted here in the Bay Area, which is awesome. And um, yeah, I just hope everybody's doing great. Keep training hard, keep getting after it, put in effort over everything, and uh, talk to you guys soon.